to open it with me to the book of Acts. Um, every week I, I keep thinking I'm going to change the name of the series because it's just, last week I told you, just I just call it Go. But, I, but I, I'm just reluctant to say Go because I don't want you to get this thing like God is telling you just to go, 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 because he's not, because it's really more what I shared last week. It's before you go. Uh, because the, the book of Acts is not about so much the acts of the apostles, though it does record what the apostles did. It's really about the acts of the Holy Spirit working through the lives of the apostles and as he continues today to work through our lives as well. And so the text this morning we're going to be studying is Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 26. And I titled this morning's message, Wait on, not for the Lord. Wait on not for the Lord. And you'll see that because we don't have to wait for the Lord any longer because Pentecost has come, right? So we're not, we're not having to sit in an upper room going, man, is he, is he going? Is he going? It's not waiting for the Lord any longer. It's waiting on him. So I want to begin. Um, I know this is a weird thing. I mean, I thought about this. This is like very, very strange that we would, you know, pray for one another and together before we get into the, the service today, you know, uh, but I really feel led, you know, the Lord that, you know, years ago, um, you know, before the service would start, we'd give you five minutes. We'd say, hey, you know, uh, we'll spend the next five minutes, get with one another and pray. And what we learned, you know, by watching is people didn't pray. They just talked. People went around, they greeted everybody. They talked, they just, but you didn't pray. So we weren't honoring the Lord in that. You were doing what you wanted to do, but you weren't doing what God was calling you to do. So this wasn't you guys. These were, these were other people at other churches, okay? So, um, but one of the things that was so disheartening in it when um, we began to do this, there was a, an elderly couple in our church, I mean, who my wife and I we loved dearly. They were just the sweetest couple. And um, so I said one Sunday, I said, hey, we're going to spend the you know, next few minutes and I want to invite you to get with one or two people that are around you and just say, hey, could you pray for me in this area? And then pray for one another. And I said, don't get in groups of four and five and six because you'll never get to praying because you'll just go around and you'll talk and five minutes is up. It's only five minutes. So just find one other person that's around you and just say, hey, um, you know, could, could I pray for you? You pray for me in this and da, da, da. So the next day, you know, I get a, I get a note from them. And they said that they were leaving the church and they'd been here for well over a decade. And I was like, man, what, what happened? What, you know, what did I say? I mean, I, you know, what, what happened? Is there something we can do? Can we fix it? They don't know. And you, you, you made us pray. And uh, we don't like my husband and I, we do not like to pray public. We, we do not pray with other people. And, um, so we see that where you're wanting to go and we just don't feel comfortable doing that. And so we're going to just go find another place. And I'll tell you, it saddened me. I mean, it, it broke my heart. And in it, in it, in one sense, I stood, I stood back. And, God, maybe, maybe it's not you. You know, I mean, you know. And then it's like God lovingly, you know, rebuking me. It's like, Mike, what is the church about? What is the church about? You, you cannot study what the inception of the church in the Book of Acts and not see that the church is about what they came together for instruction. They came together for fellowship. They came together for the breaking of bread and they came together for prayer. Prayer always preceded every move of God. And, and so for us to go, uh, you know, I, I don't, 
I don't like to pray or I don't want to pray, or we don't take advantage of the, of the opportunity to pray. And you've heard it just like I have, you know, if there's one thing that pretty much every church, not, you know, I won't say every, but probably eight out of 10, nine out of 10 really lacks is corporate prayer. I mean, you might be the greatest prayer, you know, in your prayer closet, but you only see that mentioned a couple of times in scripture where God really moves is when the people of God walk in obedience to God, come into fellowship together and they pray to God. That is the, if you want to follow the pattern of the book of Acts, it's walk in obedience, walk in fellowship, walk in prayer, and God does amazing things. And uh, so I wanted to begin the study and I wanted to ask you a question. How many, and you don't even have to raise your hand to this, I just want to ask in your heart of hearts, how many of you would say, I find in my life it's easy for me to get ahead of God? It's easy to get ahead of God. Because I shared that with you last week. If there's one thing that I get so frustrated with myself that I know that I fail miserably on uh, often is I get ahead of God. I get ahead of him. I know that. And so I'm not preaching to you today. I'm preaching to myself in this. And I look at this text. Secondly, you need to ask yourself, how many would say you're patient? You consider yourself a patient person. And now you don't need to raise your hand. I just want you to, and you might pray, and this might be a directive prayer. That's what I want to lead you in. I want you to get with one other person. It can be your husband or wife, if you're with them or whoever you're sitting next to. And if you don't have somebody, um, you know, works out, there's nobody there, come up, I'll pray with you. Um, and just go one of two things. You're going to go, man, I, I, I don't even have to have pastor Mike say any more about that. I know that I get ahead of God. I know that I'm impatient and I get ahead of God and I just need God to help me not get ahead of it and learn how to wait on him. I want to be patient and I'm praying to God that he would make me patient. And, and then you can share you know, with one another real simply, you go, here's an area of my life where I get ahead of God, or here's an area of my life where I'm impatient. I'm just trying to help you think of things. So, you know, we can't go, oh, yeah, I couldn't think of anything. You know, I want to help you think of those things, but more important, I want to help you take a moment and meet God in this place in prayer that God would do amazing things in our life. And so it's uh, 920 at 925, um, we'll stop. And so I want to give you real quickly an opportunity to get with somebody next to you, around you and pray, ask them, or just say, Hey, you know what, what, how can I pray for you in this area? You know, is there any area of life where you get ahead of God and let's pray, whatever that thing is, is there any area of your life where you are impatient? You might not be impatient in every area of life, might just be limited to most of the things. And so just take an opportunity, pray for one another, and then uh, we'll get started here this morning. Robert. Okay. Amen. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God is good. Hey, would you guys, would that, would, would wouldn't offend you if we made this like a regular thing, would it? How many are okay with it by a show of hands? Okay. I'm not going to ask you if you don't like it. Cause I don't, I don't want to get into that. I just need a lot of people on that side of it. Go with, just, just go with the numbers there. But no, I, I just really feel like you know, as we go through the book of Acts, we might as well put it into practice. Amen. Practice what we preach. Amen. 
and to be more comfortable, you know, and especially in these days in which we live in, you know, you know, as Paul would write, he said, you know, that men and uh, in all places ought to pray, you know, lifting up holy hands without wrath or without wrath and without doubting, you know, it's that we would trust the Lord and we believe in the power of prayer. And so uh, I don't want to make that mistake. And, and I love, you know, what the Lord is doing in the lives of so many people in our church that have come to that realization. It's easy to go, oh, hey, I'll pray for you. And then we just kind of, you know, go on as opposed to, you know, when there's a need that comes up and saying, hey, I'll, let me pray for you. And then just stop and pray in that moment and uh, where the Lord really is glorified in that. And so um, may it just encourage us as we grow in our faith and our ability to pray and to do, to do more. Um, I shared with you, you know, as each week, as we've gone into this study, as we look at Acts chapter one here, you know, the Luke, he's writing this, his gospel account in the book of Acts. Like I said, there, there are two volumes of the same work. Uh, he's writing to a guy named Theophilus, you know, I shared with you, his name means lover of God or God lover. And if you look at this, it, he's writing about a a firsthand eyewitness account um, surrounding the life of Jesus so that Theophilus, uh, this lover of God, which that can apply to us as well, could be certain of the things which had been taught about Jesus. And I, I quoted you reading from Luke chapter one. I'll read this to you this morning. In Luke chapter one, verses one through four, uh, Luke talks about why he wrote his account. And I've shared that with you, so I'm not going to go through all that. But he said, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled amongst us. He's talking about the life of Jesus and the prophecies. He said they used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning. He says, I also, remember he's a physician, he's very detail-oriented. He says, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you most honorable Theophilus. And that's why most people think that Theophilus was probably a Roman dignitary because of the way that he, uh, you know, mentions him here as most honorable. He says, so you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. So obviously Theophilus was a disciple of Jesus. And, and then he goes on, he said, you know, in Acts, you know, it becomes just simply the second volume or the continuation of this work. And as we began, the book of Acts, Luke writes this, he says, in my first book, that would be then the gospel of Luke, in Acts chapter 1, in verse 1, he says, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit during 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. And so we, we find in Luke's in, in account of both the Gospel of Luke and Acts, there a, a tribute, and the beauty of it is it's a tribute to the Holy Spirit and his work. Uh, I think of, you know, Second Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, it comes to mind. It says, above all, it says, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. And, you know, God worked in Luke the same way that he works in you and me. And this is one of the, the great lessons that will come out of our study in the book of Acts. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit. You know, Luke is writing, you know, 
what becomes the Bible. He doesn't sit down and all of a sudden, you know, the Holy Spirit just comes over him and, like I said, starts moving the pen, you know, on paper and, and, and the Holy Spirit's going, Luke, guess what you're doing? You're writing, it's going to be called the Bible. And you're writing that. He just is what? And it's such a, a beautiful term when you think about this. He was naturally supernatural. He was just being Luke, doing what Luke did, moved and led by the Holy Spirit. It's not something to be afraid of. It's not something like, you know, people will say they'll do really weird things spiritually, right? And they'll say, you know, well, I'm, I'm sorry, but, you know, I can't help myself. You know, I'm not responsible what what I say or what I do when the Holy Spirit comes upon me, which is totally contrary to the Bible, because the Bible says that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. God will never force you to do something. We can work in cooperation with him. One of the things that I hope comes out of this study is our understanding that the Holy Spirit is a person. And we know that he's a person because the Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit whom you have from God. You can't grieve an it. You can only grieve a person. He's a person. He's the third person in the Trinity. And so Luke's gospel end, it ended with the ascension of Jesus back into heaven. And the book of Acts obviously opens with the same event you know, that we read about and we, we studied last week in verses 9 through 11. So if you look at that, you know, we'll read this and then we'll pray in Acts 9 through 1, 9 through 11, he says, after this, Jesus, it says, he was taken up into a cloud, and while they were watching, they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood amongst them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into the heavens? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. And Father, as we study this this morning, Lord, we want to pick it up wherever we left off. It's where, Lord, you have now ascended back into heaven, and, and we want to begin to study the life of the Holy Spirit working through the apostles' lives, and, and Lord, seeing patterns and looking for ways that, Lord, you've worked in their lives that we might better identify, Lord, how you're working in our life today. And Father, I pray that Lord, each person here understands and knows that, Lord, the day that we got saved, God, your word is very clear that you came in to our life. You sealed us by the Holy Spirit for the day of our salvation. But there is a subsequent and a distinct opportunity that we have for your spirit to come upon us. We see that in the book of Acts, that people moved by the Holy Spirit, filled by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit. But yet, Lord, we know that there's some cooperation that takes place. You don't force us. You desire to lead us and guide us. And so, Lord, may each of us, uh, God, have a, a greater desire, Lord, for more of you. And uh, Lord, we make it our prayer today. I must decrease that he might increase in me. And so, Lord, we look to you. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the Holy Spirit's work in our life, the work in, in the world today. And we just pray for just a greater greater filling, Lord, a greater awareness of your presence in our life and all that comes with that, Lord. And we give you all the praise and the glory today as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in verses uh, 12 and 13 there in Acts chapter 1, it goes on, it says, and then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance about a half of a mile. It says, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where the house of they, where they were staying. 
you know, in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 24, he basically says the same thing. He says in verses 50 through 53, you see this, this correlation here. He says, then Jesus led them, the disciples, to Bethany. It says, in lifting up his hands to heaven, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. So they worshiped him, and then they returned to Jerusalem, filled with great joy, it says. And they spent all their time. And so we want to watch their life. What happened after Jesus ascended back into heaven? And it says that they returned to Jerusalem. And that's no slight thing because they just fled Jerusalem, right? They fled Jerusalem out of fear of the Jews, right? It says they were having a holy huddle in an upper room because they were scared that what the Jews had done to Jesus, they were going to do to them. But something happened. You know, we, we talk about Easter. At Easter, I've done sermons on this, right? Easter changes everything, right? What is it about Easter? It's not just his death and it's not just his burial, but it's the resurrection, right? That changes our lives, that Jesus is alive. And they saw that he was alive. And Jesus said, because I live, you live also. And he said, don't worry about what men can do to your body, you know, but rather fear him who can cast the body and the soul into hell. And so they were motivated by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so when they see him going back into heaven, they're just like, yes. And they have this thought that he's going to come right back. They think, you know, he doesn't tell them a day, thank God. Thank God he hasn't told us, you know, because like I, I shared with you last week, you know, we'd probably procrastinate if we knew that Jesus was coming back and he set the date too far out, right? We go, I'll, I'll do it later, right? Have you ever done that in your life? I'll do it later. You go later, you know, all of a sudden becomes very stressful. So again, what a beautiful thing. They head to Jerusalem with great joy. And it says, and they spent all their time in the temple praising God. So we see right away, well, if you're looking for marks of, of the early church, we see one of them right away is obedience, right? They were obedient. Jesus said you know, in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he said to wait where? He gave them the specifics. He said, wait in where? What city? Jerusalem. He said, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father that you will receive not many days from now. Okay, so he gave them very specific instructions. Now, he left. I mean, some people go, hey, he's not here, right? What is that expression? The cats will what? Yeah, the cats away, the mice will play, right? You go, they're thinking, oh, he's, he's gone. And Jesus tells a few parables about, you know, not being ready. We think of the parable of the 10 virgins, right? And so there's all kinds of reasons that we need to be obedient. But they had a choice to make. They could walk in obedience or they could walk in fear. And I think these are things that are important to us today because we have the same challenges before us. I mean, here, you know, they are. Jesus has been crucified there in Jerusalem. They had a real fear. They had real issues that existed in their life. But now, all of a sudden, they're willing to go back into Jerusalem. I don't think they understood everything because the Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out yet. But what did they do? They walked by faith and not by sight. They trusted what Jesus said. There's so much that I can glean from this in my own life to follow the Lord, follow the, in, you know, really being obedient to what the Lord has called us to do. I put in my, my notes here, really big, bold letters. Blessings always follow obedience. Blessings always follow obedience. And it's so true. So they worship Jesus. They return to Jerusalem with great joy. And it says, and they spend how much of their time? What does it say? all their time, right? They were Jesus freaks, right? Some, I talked to Christians, I don't want to be a Jesus freak. You know, I come on Sunday. 
you know, and I think it was a wonderful teaching yesterday talking about, you know, what a devoted Christian is and what a nominal Christian is. And there's a lot of truth in that. And you look at the statistics around the nominal Christian's life and the things that they go through in this life and the things that befall them. And then you look at someone who's a devoted Christian. And so those are things that, you know, like I said, we can all have our opinion on things, but facts don't lie. And they're, it's factual. There's statistical information that you can look at. You know, and you look at your life and you look at the life of people that, you know, I think it was Greg Laurie that said it. Probably a lot of pastors have said it. He goes, you know, find me a, a, someone who has a Bible that's all worn out and I'll, find, I'll show you a Christian who's not, right? And you go, man, there's something about just being in the Word of God, being in fellowship with God, being in fellowship with other believers, praying and walking in obedience to God. There's a blessing that comes with that. And, you know, what is... What is that expression? The safest place to be in the world is where? In the center of God's will, the most dangerous place to be is any other place, okay? So, so much that we can, we can glean from that. So, you know, everything is making sense to the disciples. So they're beginning to understand what, as Jesus was at those 40 days between the resurrection and his ascension that he spent with them and appearing to, you know, over 500 at one time and all the disciples, they're starting to understand what the kingdom of God is all about. It's happening inside of them. And so they're seeing, you know, Jesus in every facet of their life. They're looking for him, right? Looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus. They weren't watching Fox News. They weren't watching CNN. They weren't paying attention to all the things. They were looking unto Jesus and it was transforming their lives. And so they returned to the upper room. They waited. And like I said, they were waiting, you know, for the promise. And thank God today, we don't, we don't have to wait for, we just need to wait on, learn how to wait on the Lord. Acts 1 verses 4 and 5, look at this. He says, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that he promised you. As I told you before, John baptized with water. We were talking about that. And we'll be doing a water baptism that you'll be immersed in water. You'll go under the water, right? But he said, but I'm going to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. He's going to come upon you. He's going to cover you, and he will be all over you, and you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You know, Acts chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, you know, gives us an idea of some that were there. You know, he says the 11 disciples, you know, you think minus Judas, they're present along with Mary, the mother of Jesus. You see the brothers of Jesus, James and Jude, you know, the women who followed Jesus and others, and, you know, there's a group of about 120 that were there. Um, so it says, you know, here are their names, those who were present, Peter and John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James, they were all met together. And it says they were consistently, there's things to glean from this, they were consistently united together, and they were consistently united in prayer. So they were obedient, they were in fellowship, and they were in prayer. They were obedient they were in fellowship. They were in prayer. They were obedient. They were in fellowship. They were in prayer. That was the demarcation of those who were about to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says, and they all met together. And it says, and along with Mary. So this kind of blows the, the doors off, you know, uh, Mary being, you know, the mother of God and, you know, being the perpetual virgin. And she needed salvation just like everybody else. She needed the Holy Spirit, just like everybody else. She wasn't, and obviously she had other children. A lot of teachings within the Catholic Church kind of debunked in just a, a few verses here. It says, 
uh, and several other women and the brothers of Jesus. So he had brothers. During this time, it says there was about 120 believers together in one place. So again, it's not a formula, but they were obedient, right? Let's see that again. Verse 4, they were eating. He was, Jesus was eating with them, and he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift of the Holy Spirit that he has promised. He says, I told you before. They were in unity. They were united in purpose. Obviously, we see that in the Psalms, how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell in unity. And, and I love that because if you just go back a few days, they weren't unified. They were, like I said, they were arguing about who was the greatest, you know, amongst them, right? You go, what changed? What changed from them being selfish individuals to be united as one? And you go, and it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the fact that in John chapter 20, verse 22, it says that he breathed upon them and they received the Holy Spirit. God had begun this new work in their life. He was taking that heart of stone that they had and what? Giving them a heart of flesh, a flesh that that was his to mold and it was his to make. And so, you know, and again, and I want you to read that, you know, in John chapter 20 and verse 21, it says, you know, and again, Jesus said, he said, peace be with you as the father has sent me. So you can see this is going into the book of Acts and he's about ready to pour out his spirit, right? He said, you're going to be a disciple or witness unto me in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, right? So this just perfectly correlates with that in John chapter 20, verses 21 and 22. He says, so peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Then it says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. But this was before the day of Pentecost. So this is a different experience. This is what we call the in experience, the E-N in the Greek language, where we see in the book of Acts, we have the word epi or epi, E-P-P-I or E-P-I, some translations there, which means to come upon. And, and I love what one commentator said. He said this, he said, Jesus in our heart is greater than any difference that might exist between us. Because what they were learning how to do is preferring each other over themselves. It wasn't about their way. It was Yahweh. It was God's way. And they were united in prayer. You can see that again, verse 14, it says, and they all met together and they were constantly united in prayer. In some of your translations, it'll say in prayer and supplication, which is important to see because the idea of supplication is a sense of desperation and earnestness in prayer. You ever been desperate in prayer? You know, desperation in prayer will lead you to earnestness in prayer, right? You go, I'm not stopping praying until, you know, I have peace or I have an answer, you know, from God. And again, it's, you know, it's so worth noting, you know, that what preceded the coming of the Holy Spirit you know, is that this wasn't going to, you know, take place many days from now. You know, the disciples, like I said, they were walking in obedience, they're living in fellowship, they're seeking, you know, the Lord in prayer. And then, you know, you move, you know, to a place that's real easy to jump from that and just go, okay, so I get it. It's like, it's a formula. It, it isn't a formula. It's just things that we can look at and we go, hey, this is to be observant. We, it's noteworthy, right? And we look at that, the Holy Spirit can do whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do when he wants to do it. But we'll see this as something constant in the life of the disciples. When we walk in obedience and we live in fellowship and we live in prayer, God does amazing things. That's, that's just how God operates in and through his people. I put my notes, you know, before we move forward, you know, in this study, 
you know, we, again, we have to understand, you know, what Luke is doing in, in writing the book of Acts, because like I said, it's not so much about the acts of the apostles as it is about the acts of the Holy Spirit. So I want to take you back for just a second so you don't miss the point of how the Holy Spirit operates since we can't see him visibly, right? Look, look there, go back to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 for just a second, and look at this. He says this, Luke, he says, in my first book, he's obviously talking about the gospel of Luke, right? He said, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and to teach. So this isn't, you know, conclusive. It's just what he began to do and teach. He said, until he was taken up to heaven after, and this is the part I want you to lock in on. He says, after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. You go, why, why is that so important? You know, because the book of Acts is what? It's about the acts of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit functions in the life of a believer. And so I want to encourage you, you know, do, do a study on the life of the Holy Spirit and his role in our life. And there's great online studies that you can do. I've shared with you, you know, just really focus in on John chapter 14, 15, and 16. It's such a, a beautiful study there. In John chapter 14, verse 26, listen to what Jesus said. He says, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and he will remind you of everything that I have told you. So we can't miss that then, nor can we miss it today in our own lives, how the Holy Spirit works, because the Bible has much to say about how God draws us to himself and how the Holy Spirit, and I love this word, woo, how God woos us through the person of the Holy Spirit to himself. Jesus, in, in John chapter 6, verse 44, he says this, for no one, Jesus says, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me, and at the last day, I will raise them up. That Greek word there for draw is helkuo, and it means to drag. So you got to picture this. It means to drag literally or figuratively, right? So clearly, you know, this drawing is one-sided. It's God drawing you or dragging you, you know, and, and it's a beautiful thing. We were singing about that, you know, in, in worship today, just how God operates, that it's him, right? I mean, you could read that and you go, theologically, he loved me before I, I even did wrong, you know, that he chose me before I even failed. You go, before the foundations of the world ever was, God knew me. You go, this, this, it's beyond my pay grade. Let me just put it that way. I could try to wrap my mind around it. And it's like, it's like David going, God, your love is just, it's too awesome. It's too amazing for me. It's beyond comprehension. You know, God is so, so, so good. But it, it tells us that he's drawing us. And you go, and how is he drawing us? Well, you read right there in Acts, it says that after, think about this, after Jesus resurrected from the dead, says he was appearing to people and he was showing up in different places, right? But it says that what we know this from the gospel account, what happened to the disciples when Jesus was crucified? They scattered, right? They all, they all took off. They went in different directions. Well, how did Jesus get them all back into Jerusalem? This is my question for you. How did they end up in Jerusalem? And it says, it tells us, it says the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit came to them. The Holy Spirit is the one who drew them. The Holy Spirit was the one 
who showed up. This is what Acts is all about. It's how you and I move in this life. It's not that Jesus is standing in front of us. We don't see him. It's the Holy Spirit who we don't see, who's wooing us, who's drawing us. I love that picture, dragging us. Has God ever drug you before? Many times. (laughs) My wife and I, we talk about this. It will go, you know, like uh, something you go, hi, there's an event or something. You go, I really don't want to go to that. You ever done that? Even a church thing, you know, you're not going to be less spiritual for being honest, right? And then you go, and then you get there, right? And you go, oh, thank you. Thank you for helping me get over my selfishness. Just, you know, I make my life about me and I decided to die to me and to live to you. And when I got here, man, to be able to just be part of something that God is just in, you know, he's wherever two or three are gathered. I mean, think about it, if we really loved him and we really went, He'd go, man, I'd want to be wherever he's at, right? He's going, I tell you all the time where I'm at. He goes, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, what? There I am in the midst. And you go, and we'd go, ah, for, that's why you wonder why he says, don't forsake the gathering of the saints, because you'll miss it. You'll miss it. There's God sightings. There's opportunities where God does, you go, he did a miracle. And you go, well, tell me about it. And, you go, and then they go, well, you know, I don't know if I believe If you were there, you would have, you know, it's like Thomas. I don't believe. Jesus, okay, go ahead, stick your hand on my side. Okay, that's good. I don't, I don't need to, you know. And so just know, you know, the Holy Spirit, he does, he draws us, he drags us. Why? Because he loves us. He's going to do whatever it takes. You ever heard that expression, you know, God released the hounds of heaven, right? You know, to go after somebody who's away from God. You go, does he do that? And you go, absolutely. It's the role of the Holy Spirit. What does he do? He's working in the world to convict of righteousness, right? He's working, he worked in our life to bring us to Jesus. And so, Again, you know, Ephesians 4.30, it says, but don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, he's identified you as his own, guaranteed that you will be saved on the day of redemption. You know, that again, you know, we can go kicking and screaming, you know, or, you know, we can go willingly. It's always better to go willingly, you know. It's like, you know, how many have kids? You remember they were young and they wouldn't want to get in the car to go with you? You go, we are going to grandma's house. We are all going to grandma's house. I'm not going. Oh, you're going. You might go kicking and screaming. You know, you might, you might be miserable the whole drive, but guess what? You're going, right? And then they're in there and they're, you know, a couple of them are having fun. One sitting there, you know, and you go, but they still what? They got there, right? How do you want to go? I don't want to go kicking and screaming. I want to go willfully. And that's what he says. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't go kicking and screaming. When God says go, the blessing is go. Go with God. Be with him. And as you do, like I said, it'll, it'll bless your life. And so chapter 1 ends with what happens next. So the ascension's taken place. They've gone to heaven. Look there in verse 15. It says, so Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas who guided those who arrested Jesus. And now look at He's drawn attention to who? The Holy Spirit. This is all about the Holy Spirit. The whole book of Acts, you know, we want to make it about us and we, you know, yeah, what we do and what they did. And you go, no, it's what the Holy Spirit will do if we will what? Submit and surrender to the Holy Spirit. That's our battle. I mean, I was talking with a couple last night, uh, Lee and I were, and, and going, you know, what's, what's our great dilemma? You go, you know, as a believer, you're getting situations and you know that you could say something about Jesus, but you stop because you look around and you go, man, I don't want to say it because they might judge me. I mean, I could get in trouble, da, da, da. And, and we're motivated by fear. Well, the Bible says, you know, when the love of God has over 
overflown your heart and overfilled it, you go, what is it going to do? You have boldness. We, we see it. That's what Pentecost was all about. Holy boldness, a boldness, not, not you know, argumentative, not, you know, uh, overbearing, but in love, in love that you go, because you know the truth. And you go, I, I cannot not tell you. It's like Paul said, I cannot not preach the gospel. You mean do what you want, punch me in the mouth, you know, I'll write a letter. I mean, just whatever you got to do, I'm going to get the gospel out. Because why? Because I am compelled. The love of God compels me to do this, right? And, and yet I know, you know, at times we all, because of fear, we, we don't do it. What are people going to think? What are they going to say? What's the da da da? And you know, to get to that place, you go, man, I'm just motivated by, you know, the power of God. So he stands up, he says, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those arrested. Jesus says, what does it say? This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit speaking through King David. Judas was one of us, and he shared in this ministry with us. So Peter, exercising the gift of leadership, stands up, and he tells them exactly what you and I are called to do in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, we do this keeping our eyes on Jesus, right? The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So when the Holy Spirit's working in our lives, where's our focus going to be? On Jesus. When the Holy Spirit is moving in your life, your focus will be on Jesus. You won't be a gossip. You won't be a backbiter. You won't be stirring it up. You won't get caught in the sidebar. You go, hey, what's the most important thing? You're going to go, Jesus. Where's Jesus in all of this? That's what happened in the life of the apostles. That's why they could go back into Jerusalem. Jesus was the focus. Jesus was the reason for the season and everything that they said, everything that they did. They saw Jesus in everything. They were looking for Jesus in everything. Peter says, in essence, and I love this, I read this in one commentator uh, this week, he said, Judas did not spoil the plans of God. Judas fulfilled them. People look at it, oh, look what Judas, he, he, you know, he, no, Judas fulfilled the very purpose and the plan of God. And you think about that as a believer, because evil things do happen in this world. And you can see God in it, or you can see the evil in it. And that's your choice. But I can tell you, those that were filled with the Holy Spirit, they saw God. They saw the hand of God always, no matter what. Joseph is a perfect example. What the enemy means for evil, God what? He turns for good. And again, what a beautiful thing. You know, as John Corson would say, only the wise and the mature can see what God sees. The natural mind cannot comprehend the things of God because it's carnal. But man, when the Holy Spirit fills your heart, fills your life, you will begin to see what God sees. And you, like Stephen, you could stand there and you could be getting stoned. You could be getting with rocks in the face as Saul's standing there. And what's happening? His countenance is shining. He's smiling in that sense. He's getting killed with rocks. And he's like, and like Jesus from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that haunted the apostle Paul, that love, that love that comes from the power and the presence of God. And so look at verse 16 there, Peter says, the scriptures had to be fulfilled that this was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit speaking through King David. And so what does Peter do? He draws attention to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead here. Again, he didn't just, you know, show up now and arrive on the scene in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit has been working in perfect communion and fellowship with the Father and the Son since the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God 
was hovering over the surface of the water right there from the very beginning. And man, we can be so oblivious to the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. And I pray through this study that we become very sensitive to his leading, that he would refresh us, that he would restore us, that he would revive us, that we would want what makes Christianity different from every other religion on the face of this earth is Jesus lives in you. Your God lives in you. Your God didn't say, here's a bunch of rules, go out there and try to live by them. Your God said, I will be with you and I will be in you and I will help you and I will give you strength and I will give you power to do the very things that I've called you to do. As Pastor Chuck would say very simply, where God guides, God what? He provides. Yeah, he provides himself. So, you know, here's Peter. He's quoting Psalm, you know, 41.9. Many people believe. Um, I don't necessarily believe that myself, but I get it. He says in Psalm 41.9, it says, Even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food, has turned against me. This was David writing this psalm. Uh, again, but speaking, you know, could it be, yes, of, of Jesus? Absolutely. In verse 20, though, it's pretty clear that what Peter's referencing is Psalm 69, verse 25, specifically, where it says, let their homes become desolate and their tents be deserted. And then in Psalm 109, verse 8, and it says, and let his years be few, let someone else take his position. So obviously, Peter knows the Word of God. How does Peter know the Word of God? Because he spent a lot of time around the Word of God, walking with Jesus. You just can't help it. Jesus in, what's going to happen? Jesus out. Garbage in, garbage out. It's just, this is that simple. Verses 18 and 19, it goes on, says, and Judas had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery. Falling headfirst, there was his body split open, spilling out all his intestines. The news of his death spread to all the people of Jerusalem. They gave the place, the Aramaic, Akladama, which means field of blood. And so we see both Matthew 27, 10, Zechariah 11, 13, it tells us that this field was originally was a potter's field. It was a piece of property where a potter would buy the field next to where he did his pottery and he would discard all the broken pieces of pottery that were marred because they had become hardened. There's so many lessons, man, we don't have time to go into what we could all learn by just doing a topical study on the potter's field here. So over time, this field becomes useless for anything other than a burial ground. And I appreciate John Corson's commentary on this verse because he exhibits what a spirit-filled man sees even in the midst of evil. And you look at this, he's, and Corson wrote this. He said, what happened to the money for which Jesus was betrayed? Question. He says, it was used to purchase a potter's field, a useless field full of broken pots and dead bodies. The picture to me is powerful, the blood money of Jesus. His work on the cross was spent to redeem useless vessels and lifeless bodies, namely us. The next time you feel like a crackpot, the next time you feel useless, the next time you feel like there's no hope for you, remember Akladama, the field of blood, for even the place where the traitor died was purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. Man, that is powerful. You know, people go, oh, there's a contradiction here. You know, so he, he killed himself, he hung himself, and here it says, you know, it says in Matthew 27, 5, he hanged himself. He did hang himself. And here, the rope broke, obviously. He hit probably a jagged rock on the cliffs there. 
it was disemboweled, you might say, and falls headlong. And so it's not a contradiction, obviously, uh, of Matthew's account. Luke just simply confirms it. Verse 20 goes on, it says, and Peter continued, this was written in the book of Psalms where it says, let his home become desolate with no one living in it. It also says, let someone else take his position. I just read that to you um, from Psalm 69. It says, so now we must, in verse 21, it says, now we must choose a replacement for Judas from amongst the men who were with us the entire time that we were traveling with the Lord Jesus. From time, that time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken up from us. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. They're probably, you know, these men were chosen amongst the 70. If you remember, Jesus sent them out two by two to go into all the cities and to prepare the people. It's just, you know, in telling them the harvest is plentiful, you know, the laborers are few. So pray and beseech the Lord of the harvest that he would send in laborers into his field. So the 70 went out and they would go wherever Jesus was going to, you know, come into that city, you know, and, and preach and prepare the gospel for it. And so they're probably amongst those there. And in verse 23 goes on, it says, so they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas and also known as Justice and Matthias. And they all prayed, O Lord, you know, every heart, show us which of these men you've chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry, for he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. So the casting of lots, obviously, in the Old Testament was, was very common. We remember, you know, the high priest, you know, with the Uman and the Thummimun, uh, possibly, you know, two stones, one black, one white. Black meant, you know, no. White meant go, you know. And, uh, and I love what, you know, obviously in this, this is one of those, uh, you have to have a, a, a take on this. Um, you know, we, we think about Jonah. Um, remember, and he's, you know, they cast lots for Jonah. And they throw him overboard, you know, to save themselves. You know, we see that in Jonah chapter one, verse seven. Um, something that you see people talk about. I don't hear that much anymore. I used to hear it all the time. Um, people from Judges six setting out a fleece, like they put a fleece out, you know, before the Lord. They go, I get that. And you go, I get it. It's Old Testament prior to the Holy Spirit. You could do it. I mean, it's in scripture. I think it's something better here. You know, that's the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? You know, in Acts chapter 13, we read it. You know, that it wasn't through the casting of lots, but through the voice of the Holy Spirit. You know, how does the Holy Spirit speak? Through the gift of prophecy, right? He, he speaks to us. He shares with us the, the person of the Holy Spirit. We don't need to be afraid of him. We need to learn how to listen to him. We need to not grieve him. Acts 13, 2, put it like this. It says, one day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, because remember the book of Acts is what? It's about the acts of the Holy Spirit. It says, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work which I have called him. So I want to wrap it up with this. So the next time, you know, we have a decision to make or we're struggling, you know, within, you know, I, like John Corson, I would encourage you to walk in obedience to what you know. Remember, it was Mark Twain said, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that scare me. He said, it's the parts that I do understand that worry me. You know, walk in obedience to God's word. When you're not sure of something, you know, instead of, you know, putting a fleece out before the Lord, why not come into fellowship? Why not ask other people to pray with you? Learn how to what? Not wait for the Lord, but learn how to what? To humble ourselves and wait on the Lord. Amen. And, and so I think of Hebrews chapter eight, verse 10, it says, but in this new covenant, I will make with the people of Israel that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts 
I will be their God and they will be my people. Do you get that? He wants to be your God. He came into your life for a reason, to save you, but to commune with you. Isn't that what Jesus said in Revelation 3, right? I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. If you'll open up the door, he said, my father and I will come in and we'll sup with you. We'll sit down. We'll sup with you. We'll stay a while. We'll have fellowship with you. We'll, we'll have communion with you. We'll enjoy you. Let me ask you today, do you enjoy, do you enjoy your relationship with Jesus? I pray that you do. He's your best friend. Nobody, much as John loves Emily, and Emily loves John, nobody, nobody loves us like Jesus loves us. Amen. And what a friend that we have in Jesus. And so it ends with this, and, and I didn't want to miss this. And, um, I don't want you to miss it either. Look at this with me. Focus in on this. Acts one twenty six. it says, Then they cast their lots, and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other eleven. And I want to close by reading John Corson's commentary on verse 26. And it might be controversial to you. Just, you know, take it as John Corson. Um, but it's, I, I hold this in my own thought, and I thought, well, I'll hide behind John Corson. So that way, if you don't agree, then just don't agree with John Corson instead of not agreeing with me. But uh, no, I, I, I love what he said, and, and I do agree with him. He says, although Peter knew the word was right, in discerning that Judas needed to be replaced, I believe he and the other disciples erred when they chose two men and they said, now, Lord, which of these two do you want? And I love this. He says, I believe God's choice was neither man. Revelation 21.14 tells us that the names of the apostles are written on the 12 foundations in heaven. He says, my personal conviction is that we won't see Matthias's name on any of those foundations. We'll see the apostle Paul's name. I believe Paul was the one who should have filled Judas's office. I believe the disciples got ahead of the Lord. Now, and like I said, my personal take is because I know Mike Ostheimer. I know I get ahead of God. I don't say that you know, with any pride whatsoever. I say it to my shame. I get ahead of God. I can read this and I can go, did it change God's love for them? You go, no. Does it change God's love for me? No, or you? You go, but be honest. Do you get ahead of God? And I, I, and I believe that's what they did. I believe, he said, the disciples got ahead of the Lord by trying to make something happen before the power of the Spirit came upon them on the day of Pentecost. That's a mistake, he said, I make frequently. I'll see a principle in the Word and I'll say, okay, now I can make this happen. Instead of saying, I see the principle, Lord, now I'm going to wait on you for power, the power of your Spirit to bring it about. Maybe, he said, you're wrestling with a decision right now, which is... Lord, which is that? Which is this? He says, here or there, do you want this, Lord? Do you want that? And there's choices. In Numbers 11, he said, we see something so typical of what we do. The Israelites were murmuring, saying, we are sick and tired of this manna. Hearing their complaints, Moses said to the Lord, what am I supposed to do? You told me you would give them meat. Do you want me to kill the flocks and the herds and bring them to the promised land? Or do you want us to eat fish, all the fish in the Red Sea? Which is it, Lord? Says, but the Lord said, trust me, Moses, and you'll see that I have more choices than just those two. I have options you would never think about, even in your wildest dreams. And suddenly quail by the thousands flew into the camp, two feet off the, the ground, right in the strike zone. The Israels grabbed sticks and batted them down. I know that's what happened because verse numbers 1132 says, he gathered at least gathered 10 homers. 
be careful about saying, okay, Lord, it is this or it's that, because the Lord has options we've never heard of. Wait on him and listen for the answer. Like the children of Israel, you'll hit one out of the park every time. So let's pray. Let's pray and ask God this week. This is our closing thought, our closing prayer. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 says, but those who trust in the Lord, they will find new strength. They will soar on high wings like eagles. They will run and they will not grow weary. They will walk and they will not faint. Who are those kind of people? Those that learn to wait on God. Amen. And let's, let's ask God, Lord, in this world today, more than ever, we need to wait on God. Trust God. Wait on him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for this book. I thank you for this chapter. Lord, it's so powerful. It's so convicting to me, but yet in the same time, it's so encouraging because, Lord, I know that you want to pour out your spirit. I know that you want to pour out your life. You want to give us everything that we have need of for godliness, to live a life that's pleasing to you, that's helpful to other people. And ultimately, God, it's, it's so satisfying to us. But Lord, we have to choose to wait on you, just like those disciples gathered in the upper room. They waited for days, days on end. And I know, Lord, I'm so convinced in my own heart that there was a lot more people that started than that 120. But Lord, they got tired of waiting. We get tired of waiting. I know I get tired of waiting. So remind us afresh, thank you, Holy Spirit, Lord, for that nudging to prompt us. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. So if we're tired today, if we're wore out, maybe it's because, God, we've got ahead of you. Remind us today, you're not against us, you're for us. And the invitation today is to come back, to come to that place where we would sit before you like Mary and Martha, to choose the better thing and to sit at your feet. Fill us up, Lord. Fill us up, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.